Turning your Bibles, if you would please, to the book of James. The book of James, uh, chapter 1. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. And if you are physically able, would you please stand in honor of the reading of God's holy word and read along silently as I read aloud James chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. This is what the word of God says. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change." Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Knowing this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Father in heaven, we come before you uh, joyful to be gathered together in the household of God with the family of God, uh, delighting in your word, uh, but very much aware of the fact that we are in need of this implanted word. We're in need of this word to really reach our hearts and our minds to take root and produce fruit, not just so we can be better people, not just so we can lead better lives at work, but ultimately so we can bring you all the more glory and live lives that are pleasing to you. So for that reason, for your name, for your glory, we ask you to speak to us now through your word and do works in our lives for your name and for your fame. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So if you're joining us for the first time today, welcome. We're in the middle of a sermon series on work. You'll see it's entitled at the top of your bulletin outline, Redeeming Work. It's a topical series in which we look to apply biblical principles to where most of us spend the vast majority of our time on any given week, Monday through Friday. And the goal is this. The goal is to better connect Sunday to Monday, to bridge the gap that shouldn't exist but oftentimes does. Uh, between the quiet time you have before work, maybe, uh, which seems God-centered and Christ-focused and word-saturated, or a time of prayer that you have, whether it's in your car or in your bedroom or whatever, before you go to work or after you go to work, or your small group, which is hopefully a time you look forward to and engage with other believers and laugh or talk or pry, or not pry, well, you probably do pry, I meant to say pray, 
That could be the Lord speaking. Uh, anyway, but laugh or talk or pray or cry or whatever. Or your time here in church listening to a sermon and singing praise songs to God. Or your time serving in any one of the many ministries we have. We want to bridge the gap between all of those and whatever else you do, which in all likelihood you spend more time doing than those things. We do a huge disservice to ourselves if we compartmentalize Sunday from Monday. If we start having this, this dualistic view of life in a sense that there's things I do that are God-focused and spiritual, and then there's just the things I do, right? There's certain things I do that, like right now, this is a real spiritual thing that we're doing. We're all gathered together. We've sang, or we've, we, we, we've prayed, we're hearing God's word preached, but everything else that I do, really not so much. It's not so spiritual. That's just the things I do. That's just what I do on a regular basis. We compartmentalize things. And I, as your pastor, am hoping and praying that you'll see the job you do Monday through Friday just as important as the job I do on Sunday right here, right now. What about you? Where, where are you when it comes to that Notion. Do you believe that the job you do Monday through Friday is just as important as someone who's a full-time pastor or a full-time missionary or someone who's in full-time vocational ministry? Do you see it as just as important? Can you find a larger purpose in what you're doing than just because it's, it's what you do? It's, um, I'm just, I just do people's taxes. I'm just potty training my child. I'm just labeling boxes and placing them onto a conveyor belt. I spoke to a former student of mine. That's what she's doing right now. It's just what I do. I'm just part of the system. I'm just working for the man. I'm just doing the laundry. I'm just grading papers. I'm just you fill in the blank. Whatever you would add, I'm just doing. And you say, well, that's really not that big of a deal. It's not, it's not ministry. It's not a full-time vocational calling to something that's God-centered. I don't think we believe that what we do Monday through Friday is as important as God would have us believe it to be. I don't think the Bible teaches that uh, a secular job is less important than someone who has dedicated their life to full-time vocational ministry. I don't believe the Bible teaches that. I think it's a good thing to be called into vocational ministry. I think that he that desires uh, the, the position of a pastor desires a good thing. Yes and Amen. But that doesn't mean that the job that God has called you to or the season that God has life you in right now is less important. That's why we're spending time in this series. The title of the message today is God has gifted you for work. And what I hope to do in the time that remains is show you from God's word that he has gifted you to do whatever it is that you do. You, that's something you really need to know. You say, well, you don't even know what I do. How can you paint with a broad brush stroke and just say that everyone in here who does what they do, do has been gifted to do that? But you need to know that this isn't an issue that's just pertaining to work. It has to do with what Pastor Brad preached this week at the ACBC annual conference. This has to do directly with the glory of God and giving credit to where credit is due. And that's what point number one is. You need to give credit where credit is. Is due. You have to realize that you can only do what you do because God has gifted you to do it. See, if you fail to realize that God is the source of everything good, you're going to give credit and, in essence, glory to someone or something else other than God for the gifts and the talents and the abilities that you have. So if you take a look at the text that we just read today, pick it up in verse 13. Uh, James 1 and verse 13. It says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. 
For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Now, I don't know about you, but maybe when you read that verse, you think, is that a thing? Do people say, whoa, you pray, like, is that a common prayer request? You've got to pray for me. God's really tempted me. That doesn't really, that's not what people typically say. Woo, God's tempting me today. I don't know if this is a good thing. You've got to pray for me, which is kind of weird because you pray to him and he's tempting me. People don't say that. What is, uh, what is James speaking of here when he says um, that, let no one say, I am being tempted by God. Is that what people were really saying back then? Is he writing to a group of people that really said, I'm being tempted by God. I'm being tempted by God in a major way. Well, here's what you need to know. It's a a little background since we haven't spent time in this portion of scripture recently. Um, uh, uh, What we're looking at here is James writing to people who are under great trial and great duress. And there is this notion in their minds that I think you can relate to and I think I can relate to. And that is simply this. That we sometimes blame circumstances for a temptation in our life or for succumbing to a temptation in our life. Sometimes we blame circumstances. She makes me so angry. Uh, 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 She's the one that seduced me. God made me this way. I have these desires. Uh, He gave me these desires. Uh, I've been going through such a hard time of trials and I just needed some sort of, just, just some sort of relief, just a break, just five minutes. I have an addictive personality. It's, it's, it's in my genes. I've always been this way. And on top of that, my accountability partner doesn't text me. Blaming circumstances outside of ourselves. Who is the author and designer of your circumstances? That was rhetorical, but if you responded verbally, it would not offend me. Who is the author and the one who is ultimately responsible for the circumstances that you're in? God. So when I'm looking outside of myself and saying, well, yeah, but you don't understand. It's just so hard. It's this situation. I'm going through a real tough time with the kids. I'm going through a real tough time at work. And that's why I give in to this anger. That's why I gave in to this sin. You are ultimately, I am ultimately blaming God. So now when we say, well, I don't blame God, well, think about it. When we're attributing the reason for our sin to things outside of ourselves, we are ultimately blaming God. So that's why James moves on to say, uh, in verse, well, verse 13, he says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. God cannot be tempted with evil. Then he goes on, look at verse 14. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, uh, brings forth death. This is a very, very powerful illustration, particularly in the Greek, as to how sin and desire works in our lives, which we're not talking about today, but it's really, really powerful illustration to say, this is what happens when we give in to our desires. That's what, that which starts out as just a, a desire gives birth to sin, and when it is fully growth, grown, brings forth death. The ultimate end of this, that which is growing within us, is not something that is good and glorious, but it actually gives birth to death. Then verse 16 says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. So there's deception that's possible here. Innate within us is this desire to think that something good can come from within us. And that all that is bad comes from people or things outside of us. And so James says very bluntly, very forcefully, hey, don't buy it. Don't be deceived. In fact, every good gift, verse 17, and every perfect gift is from where? Above. 
coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, verse 18, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from, not below, but above. Not from within, but from God. In other words, prepare to be humbled. Uh, Don't ever think the bad is coming from anyone else other than you. Uh, In your life, don't ever think the temptation is coming from somewhere outside of you because this text of scripture right there says it's coming from within. And, And don't ever think that that which is good is coming from anyone else other than God. Look at the text. It's not just the perfect things, our, Bible, our, our Bibles, conversion, things that are spiritual in nature, but also every good thing. Do you see that in verse 17? Every good gift and every perfect gift. That's, that's a Greek word, agathos. It, it, it means useful or pleasant or happy or upright. Elsewhere in the New Testament, it's just translated kind. So God's not telling you, give God glory for the things that are really holy, really perfect, really awesome. Every good thing. Good coffee, a good day at work, a good opportunity that you had, whether it's to share the gospel or to hook someone up with a service that your company offers that you know is legit. Every good gift comes from God. And God deserves all the glory for all of it. God gets the credit for every perfect thing and even the things that aren't as flashy but are just like remotely positive. They come from him. Uh, It's in your outline. We're not going to turn there. But in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, people are talking to John the Baptist about the fact that his popularity is like weaning, which is because Jesus' popularity is increasing. In verse 27 uh, of John, chapter 3, John says to these people who are saying, you know, the crowds are kind of leaving. They're all over there. He says, you know what? A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. That's that attitude that we need to have. That's why we have a sermon entitled, God has gifted you for work. It's because the first thing we want to do, we want to start out with a very big picture, big view of God to realize that any ability you have, any ability you have, whether it's to quiet a sleeping baby or to come up with the most amazing code when it comes to computer, software, whatever, or whether it's web development or whether it's in finances or whether it's whatever, if it's good and it's working, it comes from God. So we're starting out with this big picture view of God to realize, is it good in your life? Then it comes from God. You've been gifted to do it. If you're doing well at it, praise God because it comes from him. If we fail to acknowledge that, we're going to give ourselves credit and glory that belongs to God and God alone. So the question is this, what about you? What skills and abilities do you put to work every day? Every day. But perhaps forget that God is the one who gave them to you. Think of the things that you do every day. The things that you do, well, easy things. You're like, that's really not that big of a deal. Like I said, I spoke to someone who puts labels on boxes and puts them on a conveyor belt for hours over at DHL. For hours. But if she's doing that well, which she is, that's from the Lord. Uh, my great, I think my great grandmother came over to uh, New York City on a boat, and uh, 
her lifetime career was sewing clasps on brassieres in a factory. The question is this. Is her ability to do that from the Lord? Yeah. Every good gift. What skills and abilities do you put to use every day, but perhaps forget God gave them to you? Uh, Brad preached about the glory of God at the ACBC annual conference earlier this week. It was awesome. And he was speaking about it from a counseling perspective, of course. And he said, most of our counselees come to the counseling session with no great awe of God. They don't have this awe that they're supposed to have of God. They're not taken with the glory of God or delighting in the glory of God. They're consumed with the pain of their situation, their marriage, their personal trial. And and their universe has become a marketplace for their own agendas and desires. Friend, the same could be said for you and me at work. If, if work is a place where we lose our awe for God, we're going to become consumed with our own agenda, our own troubles. We're not going to be able to see past the day, past the agenda, past the certain circumstances that we're facing. And we're not going to find God in what we do. And we're going to start to compartmentalize. I woke up, I had my coffee, I said some prayers, and now I go and do the things. I just do the things for eight, nine, ten hours a day. I just do things. But I don't see God in them. Why? Because I don't have a big picture, a big, awesome, awe-filled view of God where he gets the glory for every good thing. And one way to cultivate awe for God is to realize what James said is true. That anything, even remotely good, comes from God and God alone. Or to realize what John the Baptist said, and that is we cannot receive in one thing unless it's given to us from heaven. Do me a favor, keep your finger in uh, James and uh, turn over to 1 Corinthians First Corinthians chapter four. I want you to see this concept uh, illustrated once again. First uh, Corinthians four. I'm going to read quickly from verse one. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. So right there, the right here, we're talking about stewards, right? A steward is a steward and owner. No, a steward is someone who's been given temporary ownership of something that belongs to someone else. They're stewarding something that does not ultimately belong to them. And Paul's saying we are stewards of the mysteries of God. Uh, and it's required, verse 2, of stewards that we be found faithful. Verse 3, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I am, I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Now look at verse 6. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. So he's warning. Don't be puffed up 
of one against another. Don't have a big head. Don't think much of yourself so that you would judge someone else. Look at verse 7. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Do you see those questions he's asking? What do you have that you didn't freely receive? And if you just receive it, meaning it's been given to you, why are you boasting as if you've done something about it? In other words, what does anyone have that in some way wasn't given to them? We didn't give ourselves life or the food or the nurturing care and protection we had as babies. We didn't give ourselves an education or talents. We were not responsible for the country in which we were born or the chance to earn a living or the chance to advance in life or the IQ we have or anything else. No matter how hard we studied in school or worked our fingers to the bone in business or a profession, we would have nothing except for what the Lord and quite frankly many others in our life by his providential hand have given us. What do you have that we have not freely received? And this is a hard thing to preach in America. It's a hard thing to preach in a, in a, in a culture where it's like we, we take pride in what we did. I'm a, I'm a self-made man. There's no self-made man. There's many God-made men. And if someone has worked hard and achieved something, that's because God has uniquely blessed that person to achieve that. But it all comes from him. And we're in a great big danger. Do not be deceived, brethren. Every good gift comes from above, is what James says. We're in a lot of danger if we look in the mirror and we think, I'm kind of a big deal. I did kind of do that. I mean, God was with me, and he's super thankful for me, but I kind of, I, I'm kind of a, kind of a big deal. I did do that. I'm pretty sharp. I'm pretty fast. No one does blank like me. What do you have that you've not freely received, not earned, not learned. What do you have that you have not received? And so really, I think the foundation I wanted to lay for this message was, first of all, our need to acknowledge everything good as coming from God, lest we give his glory to someone else. Because without a greater satisfaction in the glory of God, you won't be able to keep doing what God calls each of us to do for a lifetime or even a long time. There's just no way. Without this real, superior, awesome delight in the glory of God and realizing he deserves it because he's given you every good thing, you'll lose your way fast and you'll run out of steam fast and, you, and, and work will be just a job, just doing the things instead of what God has called you to and equipped you for. Do not be deceived. And this point is not just about work. It's really about worship. It's about how you view you and how you view God. This isn't hellfire and brimstone. Don't be sad. This is not, oh, oh, oh the, what you learned to, oh, the preacher told me I'm nothing and that every, all the bad comes from me. It, stop looking at you. Look at God. I'm telling you, every good in your life comes from God. It's making much of God and saying God is awesome. Every good thing I've experienced, any good thing I do, comes straight from him. He has lavished his grace upon me, chiefly in salvation, but then in every good thing. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him to us all, how will he along with him also give us every good thing? Romans chapter 8. Every good thing. So what about 
you? What skills and abilities do you put to work every day, but perhaps forget God gave them to you? This is a helpful reminder to us all as to who we are, which is sinners, what we're capable of, which is evil, what we're freely received that we haven't earned, grace, mercy, every good thing, and what God, the giver of all good things, says to us in Isaiah 42 and verse 8. I am the Lord, this is my name, my glory I give to no one. He wants us to acknowledge him in every good thing. How can you give God glory for those things starting tomorrow? That doesn't mean don't repent now, but I mean, starting tomorrow, assuming you're going to go back to work tomorrow, how can you give God glory for the things that you would have never thought to give God glory for? That's just the things. I think it starts by realizing every good thing, every good thing comes from God. Now that we've gotten through the introduction, point number two. You need to see your work as a daily divine appointment to glorify God by serving him and others. And for that, would you turn to the book of Ephesians? Again, we're looking at different biblical principles, not from any one text in particular, but different biblical principles throughout the word of God that shows us that we have been gifted for work. Ephesians 2. Um, We're all very familiar with this passage, uh, or many of us are very familiar with this passage, particularly verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So we love those verses because they give a high view of God. They remind us that our salvation comes from him and him alone. It's been given to us. It's not by works. It's not by anything we've done. We can't boast about it. Well, I did come to God when I was really young, so I was <laughs> kind of sharp at an early age. That's, that's what this Bible works against that. This verse works against that and says that when we have come to faith, that's because faith was then given to us. So we love those verses and totally love Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 9. Big view of God. We just rarely read to verse 10. And verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship, so we are his product. We're what he has done. His work is the, we are the result of his good work in us, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, oftentimes we come to this point in scripture, and we're looking at Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 to show us that our good works have not produced our salvation. But that doesn't mean That God doesn't give a rip about good works because we've actually been created in Christ Jesus to do that which is good, which comes from God. We are his workmanship, verse 10, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. It's rigged in a really cool way so that God gets all the glory and that he puts us to work for his good, for his glory and for our good, that we should walk in them. Uh, Colossians 1.10, it's in your outline. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Not just in the holy good works, not just in the Sabbath good works, not just in the spiritual good works, every good work. So I want to show you something and I would like you to turn to the book, the first book of the Bible that I ever read as a Christian, the book of Exodus. And mom giggles because I had this obsession with the movie The Ten Commandments as a kid. I would watch it ad nauseum. 
then come to realize that the vast majority of it wasn't even biblical and that these two video cassettes, it came in the two, remember the, it was in the big box, like only spanned a couple of chapters in Exodus. I'm like, really? This is, where's Nefertiri? Where? Anyway, sorry. I was obsessed with Exodus and obsessed with Moses and chariots and horses and it was a pretty big deal. Anyway, Exodus chapter 31. This was the first, people start in John, read the gospel of John. I went to Exodus. Exodus chapter 31. Now, what I want to do is give you a little bit of background. What has happened up until this point, and we're like really fast. People of Israel have already been delivered from Egypt. Moses has already received the Ten Commandments uh, on Mount Sinai. God also, in addition to those Ten Commandments, gave very specific, detailed instructions regarding how he was to be worshipped. How he desired to be worshipped by his people. And, and all of this was to point to Christ who would, fulfill and, who would fulfill all these things. It's all a picture of things to come and the one who was to come, Jesus Christ. But for the time being, prior to the shedding of Christ's blood on the cross for sinners like you and me, God had people offer their own blood sacrifices uh, in a tabernacle. And in that tabernacle was loads of stuff, all of which God himself prescribed and described of basins and bowls and tables and coverings and this and that. And this is where two people named uh, Bezalel and Oholiab come into the picture. So look at uh, Exodus 31, beginning in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled them with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahissamach, of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. Uh, the tent of meeting and the ark of the testimony and the mercy seat that is on it and all the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils and the pure lampstand with all its utensils and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offerings with all its utensils and the basin and its stand and the finely worked garments and the holy garments for Aaron the priest and the garments of his sons for their service as priests and the anointing oil and the fragrance incense for the holy place according to all that I've commanded you, they shall do. Lots of stuff needs to be made. This is what God wants. And here's what I want you to see from this passage. First, who wants the glory? God. The Lord said to Moses, verse 2, see, I have called by name. Look at verse 3. I have filled him. Uh, look at verse 5. I have appointed. Uh, I have given. He's talking about himself, what he has done. And he's not, this is not him throwing his weight around. See, we're not used to people talking about themselves in a way that honors God because for anyone to brag about himself doesn't honor God because he's not God. God is God. So when God talks about himself, he's just bringing glory to himself. He's not being pompous. He's not being arrogant. There's no way for him to be arrogant because he's the ultimate of all things. So he's saying, hey, look at what I've done. Verse two, I have called by name these people. I filled them with his spirit. Uh, what did he give them? He'd given them every ability, big and small. I have filled them, look at verse 2, with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs to work in gold, silver, and bronze, cutting stones, carving wood, every good craft. This is what God has done. Now, sidestep, is this miraculous? The answer is no. 
It's not miraculous. It's not miraculous because this is not something that is happening that we could not otherwise explain. Is it providential? Absolutely. Absolutely. That God... So it wasn't that these people were, you know, lawyers, and all of a sudden they're like, I want to cut stones and work with glass. Like, that's not what happened. He's saying, look what I've done. Look how I've worked in these people. I've, I've equipped them with every skill that they need to do. That which they're doing over here, they're going to do for me. This is God's providence at work. It's not miraculous, but it's no less God-centered. And that's what you need to see. Uh, it's him raising up people to do certain work that will one day accomplish his goodwill. And then he, as only he can do, ties it together. Not miraculous, providential. Mother's Day 2001. A little blonde girl from the Carolinas comes to visit a church in New York City and blows her clutch right in front of the church. I give this girl a ride home. Fast forward 16 years later, we live in northern Kentucky with four kids. Was that miraculous? No. You can explain how a clutch gets blown. You can explain how we spoke. You can ex- There's nothing miraculous there. It's a miracle that my clutch blew right in front of the church. No, she was on her way to church. She probably blew the clutch a while ago. She was on her, she hobbled the car right up to the church, parked many blocks away, came up to the church, and then we met. But you could explain all that. Not miraculous, right? Clutches blow all the time. Providential. Was God's hand in it? Absolutely. Absolutely. You can look back and see how God has arranged these things. I'm sure each and every one of you have those stories. Are they miracles? No. Are they awesome? So this is what God is doing here. He is providentially working in the lives of these people so that he could accomplish his good will. Look at verse 3. Exodus 31 verse 3 says, I have filled them with the spirit of God. That's the same wording that you read in Genesis 1-2 when it says the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters before God had made anything. This is the spirit of God that he had given them. And then you see it's associated with craftsmanship, with work. I've given them the spirit of God. I've given them these things. There's not a single work you perform in your everyday life that you could do apart from God having gifted you to do it. You need to know that, that God in his divine providence has given you the interests you have, the skills you have, the abilities you have to do what you do, the opportunities you have to do what you do in or outside of your home for his glory. All of it's 100% by God's design. Every good thing is from God. This might beg this question. What about the lost people who do the same thing I do? Right? Like, I know that I've been gifted from God because I'm a Christian and I love the Lord. But what if there's a lost person who, like, what about the lost person who's putting the, 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 the labels on the boxes and putting them on the conveyor belt? What about the lost person who's sewing clasps on brassieres and passing them down the line? What about the lost person? Is that person gifted by God? And the answer is yes. The same divine providence from the same gracious God is working in their life. The only difference is, since their hearts are darkened, they don't acknowledge it. Your hearts, if you're a Christian, your hearts have been opened, have been changed. You can acknowledge the giver of all good things in what you do, right? Remember the rain falls on the justified farmer and the unjustified farmer, the saved farmer and the the lost farmer. One comes out and says, I'm so thankful for rain. And the other one comes out and says, I'm so thankful that God makes rain. So thankful that God sent the rain. But they both are benefiting from God's good grace. 
Every good gift comes from God. He gets the glory for it. In Exodus 31, we see God making it clear to Moses that he had providentially arranged for workers to be able to complete the tasks at hand. Big and small, major and mundane, thrilling and tedious and otherwise, all for the glorious praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Ephesians 1 and verse 6. How can you be more aware of the daily divine providential appointments God gives you to serve others and bring glory to him. What about you? See, this may not change how you do what you do, but hopefully it would change the mentality of why you do what you do. It's more of an awareness thing. It doesn't mean that if you used to walk down the hall, now you have to skip down the hall. I'd actually prefer you walk. So it's not that you need to now change literally how I do. You might be doing just fine in what you do. You're a great plumber before, you're a great plumber now. You're a great electrician before, you'll be a great electrician now. You're a great lawyer before, you'll be a great lawyer now. But there's a why that will change that will hopefully motivate you to realize that what you're doing is a very important thing in the grand scheme of things because God has equipped you to do it. It's an awareness it's, an, it's a mentality that you have as you do what you do. I'm not just doing the things. God's equipped me and gifted me to do this for his glory. How can you be more aware of the daily divine appointments, of the daily opportunities that you have to do what you do to bring God glory? Maybe it's a list I don't know, maybe it's a piece of paper or something in Evernote or something on your phone. Just think of five things you do every day. Whether, Like I said, whether they're thrilling or tedious or major or mundane, think of five things you do every day. Oh, okay, I, I file, I send this email, I communicate with this person. I, 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 don't, know, I don't know what it is you do. Uh, I feed my kids, I read this to them, I drop them off at school. I don't know what it is that you do. Why don't you make a list of five things, three to five things that you do every day that you've probably never thanked God for because you just see it as the things. But in reality, God has gifted you with the skills and the talents and the abilities to do them. And when you thank God for them, you do them to his glory. It's an awareness. It's a mentality. Finally, uh, you need to be motivated less by those who pay you and more by the one who paid for you, and that is Jesus Christ. It's important for us to remember that God has gifted us for work, uh, and that's important to know. It's encouraging, hopefully gives you a bit of an an eternal perspective on your vocation, on what it's just what you think is just your everyday life, your calling, the season of life that you're in right now. But God hasn't only gifted you and me for work. Uh, and I want to call up our worship team uh, to get ready to close us in song. More than your title, more than your vocation, more than your job, your boss, your paycheck, your benefits, perks, whatever. More than growth potential or stock options or bonuses or tips or more than please and thank you or homeschooling or meal planning or cleaning vomit. More than whatever goes on in your life on a regular basis. If you're a Christian, God the Father has gifted you with his son, Jesus Christ. Filled you with the Holy Spirit. 
so that you can remember that he is the source of every good thing. Colossians 3, verses 17 and 23 says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Verse 23, whatever you do, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritances as your reward, closing with one of my favorite statements in all of Scripture, you are serving the Lord Christ. Tying whatever you do in the beginning of that passage to you are serving the Lord Christ in the end of that passage, realizing that what you do, you do because God has gifted you to do it. So let me read to you from the book of Ephesians. And let me just ask you to close your eyes. Jesus, will you play something that will help us focus? Make sure you have some focusing music or something. Look at the emphasis. I only ask you to close your eyes just just to focus on the reading of God's word from Ephesians chapter 1. Look at who gets the glory and who gets the benefit. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him things in heaven and things on earth in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory in him you also When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Lord, we have so much to be grateful for, so much to be thankful for, that goes way beyond paychecks or promotions or titles or to-do lists or plans, or scheduling. Lord, we have Jesus Christ who has adopted us into the family of God. And with that, Lord, you've given us every good thing. Help us, Lord, to stay focused on the main thing, which is chiefly our calling to your side, out of darkness into marvelous light, giving us the gift of faith. That is who we are. But we don't want to overlook anything. We want to thank you for the many gifts and abilities you give us to do what we do. Help us to be more aware of you and your grace at work in our lives each and every day. And we ask this to give you glory 
and you praise and you honor for which you deserve. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.